Blog Talk Radio. Some of you all can relate to that. 
But before we get started, I wanted to make a few announcements like I do every week. Do not forget, mark it on your calendar, start saving your coins. <laughs> the People of Color Beyond Faith, our first conference. This is our first annual conference, and this will be taking place October 11th and 12th, 2014 in Los Angeles, California. We will be using the CFI Los Angeles facilities. They are one of our sponsors, and we thank them immensely for all of their support. We would like to thank um, everyone that's been behind us, you know, SSA, which is Student Secular Alliance or Secular Student Alliance, um, AAH, which is African Americans for Humanism, um, LA Progressive is one, one of our sponsors as well, and you know, we thank you guys, we really do, because it took a lot of work to put all of this into play. So October 11th and 12th, 2014, in Los Angeles, California, I've sent out the invites. I'll post it up again today, post it on Facebook, Twitter, um, Google+. You can find us on all of the social media for the most part. And we're just really excited about this conference. We'll be talking about a variety of things. We'll be talking about school to prison, pipelining, um, you know, homophobia and transphobia um, in the black community. Now, please mind you, people of color beyond faith, we are inclusive, so we will have these there as well so that we can talk about these issues. So I know that we'll have a couple of ministers on our panels to talk about um, the homophobia and the transphobia in the black church, in the black community. Um, we'll be talking about LGBTQ issues, um, social justice, grassroots and community organizing. Um, it's a lot to come, just like for people of color beyond faith. We have a monthly webcast. We didn't do one in April because we were away on conferences and, you know, we had to deal with some things. But we'll have one this month and another one in next month and July. I think I want to put together about two or three in a row, and then in August we'll be having our digital conference again. So the first weekend in August we'll have multiple shows, probably five or six, so it'll be three on one day and maybe three on the next day. And so just bear with us. We're getting all of this finished up and planned out. But this is for you, um, and we just appreciate you. And this is why we do the things that we're doing. Black Skeptics Group. We are finishing up our fundraising for the First in the Family Humanist um, Scholarship. But the fundraising is ongoing. We're finishing up for this year's recipient. So you still have time to donate. The PayPal for Black Skeptics is blackskeptics at gmail.com. Again, blackskeptics at gmail.com. We are a 501c3 organization, so your donations are tax deductible. And this is so that some of the young people in the community, you know, the marginalized um, youth, will have an opportunity, have some resources to move on with their education. And generally we um, work with young people that are, have been homeless or foster children, LGBTQ children, undocumented children. Next year we're opening that up to young people that have um, prisons pipelining. So, you know, young people that may have had um, drug offenses because 
if you all don't know, if you have had any type of drug offense, you're not eligible for financial aid. So we just want to make sure we encourage them as well. So we're incorporating that into our selection process next year. So, again, if you want to donate for next year, you know, please go ahead, just make a note to let, you know, our trustee know that, you know, this is for next year. So, you know, we're getting bigger and better, and this is the second year. We gave away five scholarships last year, and we anticipate on giving away, um, I believe, five again this year. So we thank you for your support. Continue to support that. That is a worthy cause. You see where the money is going. We'll be having another ceremony this year. I believe it will be in July, and we'll post up more pictures. But we had a really good time last year, and those young people, they are more than worthy. There are some YouTube videos out there, so... Look that up, but um, remember, I'll post them up a little bit later. So we have that going on, and then we'll be holding a fundraiser for people of color beyond faith. We will, you know, again, these funds will go towards the conference as well as the social justice projects. So we have several national projects that we're going to implement this year and many local projects that we're going to implement. So you know, when the fundraiser starts, which will be next week definitely, because we've written it up, <clears throat> excuse me, and the video has been produced, um, we're going to be financing where well, we need help to finance some of these projects. And some of the projects will include um, reaching out to the homeless, um, each city. Now we have Los Angeles, Houston, Chicago, Milwaukee, and DMV, which is D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. And we want more. So your city, you know, if you're out there and you want to, you know, work in conjunction with us, please contact us, blackskeptics at gmail.com. Again, that's blackskeptics at gmail.com. Let us know if you want to join in with us on in one of these cities or if you want to do something in your city so we can work with you to try to make arrangements so that we can get you some resources. And that's what we're asking for, you know, not only for financial resources, but we need materials, we need human resources, we need all of that. And, you know, we'll be giving away food at different times of the year, primarily the end of the year. Um, Back-to-school donation, we will be asking for school supplies, backpacks, things like that, so that we can give away to some of these, you know, young people. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of things coming. So, you know, again, if you're a barber and if you can donate some of your services, you know, give some of these young men a haircut, you know, all of that we wanted to do during the back-to-school so, you know, we can give them a little voucher and then they can come to your, you know, your shop and get their hair cut. So, you know, we're looking, you know, we're trying to mix it up. We're trying to find a, a, a number of different ways to help these young people to encourage them to stay in school, to encourage them to get, you know, good grades, to encourage them to pay attention, but also let them know that, that they have support, that we are supporting them and that we care about them and their future and, you know, how much we love them, because we do. So, you know, what we're doing here, you know, as humanists, you know, again, we're reaching out to the younger generations, but we're also reaching out to the older generations. This is why we do these podcasts. This is why we do the webcasts, because we understand and know that not everybody is out. Not everybody can express, you know, their liberation from religion, if you will. And if there are some that are still, you know, in religion. You know, we have a lot of people that are, you know, spiritual and even religious listening to this show because I do get along very well with theists because I came from that background. Um, 
You know, when I talk about Christianity, I'm talking about it because I know it. I lived it. Many, many generations of ministers and preachers in my family. So, um, and I've been in the church, and I understand it. And that's one of the reasons why we don't necessarily mock it, because we know and we understand and we've come from these backgrounds. And as you grow and you evolve and you become more and more enlightened, see, enlightenment is an ongoing process. You know, you learn and you become, in, in my opinion, you become a little bit more compassionate, more understanding, not only of other people, but yourself. And so that kind of leads us into today's topic, you know, shedding the cloak of fear, guilt, silence, and shame. Now, mind you, I'm coming from my perspective, and I've spoken with a lot of other, you know, religious people. I have friends that are religious, and we've um, had these conversations, you know, many of these conversations um, about the way we feel about certain things that have um, gone on in the church that we've experienced and that we've seen. And, you know, I guess what I'll say is when I was in the church, there were a lot of fear tactics, scare tactics, um, guilting, um, shaming, and, you know, silencing the people that were there. You know, I experienced, you know, some of this myself. And, of course, I had, you know, major issues with it. And before I go on, the guest call in is 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273. Press 1 if you want to speak with me or share your story. We are encouraging people to call in today. And, again, that's 310-982-4273. We would love to hear from you and love to hear your stories and hear what you experienced while in the church. Well, anyway, you know, a lot of scare tactics, a lot of fear tactics. And I'm sure, you know, some of you all can relate to this. Um, some of the things that, you know, you're told, you're saying, you know, they'll tell you that you're leaning to your own understanding. Um, you know, you're not being submissive. You're not yielding to the pastor or, you know, God or the Holy Spirit and that you're unteachable. Now, those are some of the things that I heard. Um, and then you'll hear um, that you just wanted to be a part of the world, that you don't want to follow the rules, or you'll be accused of being you know, angry or taking offense or, you know, having an alt with someone in the church. Um, you know, you'll be called a Jezebel, <laughs> a rebellious, you know, and then they'll tell you that rebellion is witchcraft and, you know, you have a spirit of, you know, independence, you know, a spirit of rebellion and, you know, that's just your pride and you're being defiant and you don't want to be held in submission you know, you're being insubordinate. And, you know, they'll remind you of, you know, sometimes when you're in church, they'll have you, you know, say these, you know, prayers and give your allegiance and oaths. I mean, you know, it's not every church that's like that, but I've seen some churches and I've heard some stories. So they'll tell you that you took a vow or that you made a promise, you know, to, you know, your church family or you made a promise to God and, how are you breaking that, and how, you know, it's blasphemous. And, 
you know, then they'll they'll tell you that all of these horrible things will happen to you, that you will get sick or you'll end up getting divorced or, you know, you will be living a life of sin. And if you leave the church and the next week you get a paper cut, you'll hear them saying, see, that's what happens. And then you'll hear them talking about, see, you know, you're reaping what you've sown. You never should have left, and that never would have happened to you. And that you have this curse on you, that if you leave, that you're cursed by God. And so, you know, so many different things that I've heard. And, and after a person has left the church, you know, and the pastor in some cases will be angry or members would be angry, and, you know, I've seen sermons being given about the person that left and hearing all of these horrible stories about brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so left, and now they have cancer, and that's what happened. You know, so they play a lot of psychological games with you. Um, they'll tell you that your children will be out of control. Now, you know, those of you that have had children or have experienced nieces and nephews or little brothers and sisters, and we've been young once ourselves, um, when you turn into a teenager, you are not necessarily trying to hear what your parents have to say or do everything that they're telling you to do, especially when you look at some of these adults and they'll tell you one thing and they're doing something different. So, you know, children, they're trying to find themselves. You know, and that's, you know, even before you turn into a teenager, that's why you see little one- and two-year-olds that are a little bit independent there, and, you know, you tell them to sit down, but they don't want to sit down at that time. So, you know, children like to express themselves. They like to find themselves. And there are just some things that children and us adults that we have to learn on our own. We have to learn through experience. There are some things that we do learn vicariously through other people or watching other people's experiences or listening to the stories. But, you know, these are some of the things that play out. You know, they'll tell you that there is no perfect church and that, you know, all churches have, you know, issues, which is true. And, you know, then they'll talk about the church hopping. And many pastors and ministers and, you know, some of the, you know, membership, they've been trained and taught that, you know, visiting other churches, you know, is a sin, that you're only supposed to come to your church, not visit any other churches, especially outside of your denomination. And they really don't want you visiting certain churches within the denomination. And it's not because they feel as though you're going to lose your, you know, um, your your spirituality or lose your sanctification or what have you, in many cases it's because they're afraid that you will leave, that you'll find a pastor that's teaching along the lines that resonates more with what you believe in, but, you know, um, also there are a number of other reasons. Um, they always tell you to be equally yoked, so they want you to marry and to date within the church but sometimes they mean within their own church. They want they don't want you marrying somebody that's also a believer that's a part or member of another church because they don't want you to be led away. So, you know, a lot of these are manipulation tactics. You know, that's why, you know, I'm kind of going over them pretty quickly. And, you know, and then this is the one that they like to say, you'll never find another church like this again. And you always want to come back, and you'll never be happy. No one else will show you the same love of God, the love of Christ, 
that, you know, we show you over here. So, you know, again, it's appealing to emotion. Um, a lot of this is appeal to authority um, and, you know, and many, many more logical fallacies. But, you know, they, they tell you that. And, you, yes, there are some things that you will yearn. You know, I, some people, there are some people that I miss that I no longer am in communication with. There are some things about the church that I do miss and is is not necessarily the teaching, but I do miss just you know the socialization, you know socializing with other people, and people that I became close with. You know we had a lot of activities that we did together. So there are some things that I do miss, but it's not that I miss church. I miss people. I miss certain friendships, and it's unfortunate that we had to let that go. And but it's okay. I still wish them the absolute very best. I still love them. Very, very much. So, um, again, the telephone number is 310-982-4273, 310-982-4273, and press 1. And I see we have a caller already from area code 937. May I ask who's calling from 937? This is Rhonda. I'm in the Bronx. Hi, Rhonda. Hi. First of all, you know, I really appreciate all the work that you guys are doing and I think this is such a great topic, and I totally relate to the idea of fear because I think the one thing that had me as an agnostic for so long was that I knew, I felt like as soon as I said the word atheism, that the shoe was going to drop and just everything yes. horrible was going to happen like they said in the church. And, I mean, it didn't. You know, I'm I'm still here. I'm still thriving. And, you know, I think that that really is what keeps people just, kind of captivated for so long, but I just wanted to touch on another thing, that when I was in the church, one of the things that I'm really kind of, I guess maybe still a little bitter about as an atheist now, is the, the whole idea of tithing, and how yes. they, and I think that's such a big problem with the black community, because I saw this thing with T.D. Jakes the other day, and he was preaching about tithing, and saying basically, like, don't look at those people who don't tithe and have all these nice things because, you know, they're going to get theirs one day. And even if you're struggling right now, you know, still tithe because God will see that you have this much faith and he'll reward you even for tithing when you don't have any money. And, you know, and if you don't tithe, then, you know, woe is you. All this stuff is going to happen. So just the fact that we don't own a lot of our business, own businesses, we don't have money in different areas, scholarships, everything, but yet we give all this money to the church that we can't, you know, afford to give, but they scare people into doing it. So I thought that kind of fit in with the whole guilt and fear aspect of religion. So I just wanted to speak on that and just, you know, again, thank you for everything that you're doing. So that's all I had to say. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Rhonda. We appreciate it because, you know, we work hard to bring these topics to you because we do a lot of research behind it. And I agree with you with the tithing. That is a scare tactic. So what they will tell you is, you know, they'll go back to the scripture in Malachi 3, I believe it's 3, 8, and they'll say, well, man, rob God. But see, if you go mm-hmm. and see, I talk to Christians about this, you know, even when I was a Christian and I started questioning things again. And, you know, because I was... I became a non-believer when I was 11, 12, but when I became an adult, I went back to church because of the influence of friends and family. And, you know, I started reading and getting an understanding and seeing that what they were saying was not reconciling with what was in the Bible. But anyway, getting back to Malachi 3 and 8, 
So it says, will a man rob God? But if you read that entire chapter in its entirety and you look at the caption above it where it tells you and it shows you who God is talking to, God is not talking to the lay people. He was talking to the priests because by that time, Eli and his sons, they had fallen short. And so they were not doing what they needed to do in order to maintain the the tithes that were coming into. And a lot of people don't understand that tithing was not money. It was were cultural goods. It was things like that to maintain a church, and those goods were basically there to feed the priests, but also to to feed the orphans. And an orphan is any child that does not have a father. To feed the widow, and that is any woman who has lost her husband, even though his family was mm. supposed to take of them, but and then it was also to feed the homeless, which they called strangers at that time. So that's what those ties were for. It was for social justice, to go back into the community and help those who could not necessarily help themselves or due to circumstances were not in a position to, to help themselves because we have to put that in the proper context because in those days, in that time period, when a woman lost her husband, see, women were not supposed to go out on their own. They were supposed to be escorted by their husband or a man. Mm-hmm. It could even be son. So a lot of these women didn't have that available, so it was to, up to the priests and the people of the church to go and to share that and to bring them the goods that they needed in order to maintain. But anyway, those ties that were coming into the church, what was happening is, what they would do, the people that were tithing, and again, it was the wealthy people that were tithing, not necessarily the poor people because they were the ones that needed help. So let's say they had a herd of 100 cows. So every 10th cow would go to the church. They would get the first nine, and then the church would get the 10th. And what happened was they started putting the ruts and and the cows that they no longer desired as the 10th cows and giving the church whatever they didn't want, not the best, not the fatted cows like they were supposed to. And so what happened is, you know, Eli fell down on the job and they weren't paying attention because they were too busy drinking and sexing everybody in the city. And, that's, and you know, many, many other things that were happening, you know, things that we see happening in the church now. And so that is what happened. But let's take it all the way back. They, t- they talk about how um, um, Abraham, you know, tithes. And, you know, um, and how, what was his name, the one that wrestled, Gabriel, I think it was Gabriel, but, you know, the one that wrestled with God saying that I'm not going to give until you bless me. Well, see, this is the thing, mm-hmm. and, you know, when you go back and you look at those scriptures, when they, when they overcame that city and they took the spoils of that city, that is what they tithed. They gave 10% to the church and they gave the 90% to the people. He did not tithe on what belonged to him. He tithed on the spoils of the word. He gave that back because he felt that it didn't belong to him. So, you know, you have to go back and you put that in perspective. And that's also Old Testament teaching. And, you know, one of the things they do is that it's, you know, it's a fear tactic. They scare people into giving. Now, being a part of the atheist, non-believing community and, you know, what we've been seeing as far as, like, the fundraising and having, you know, somewhat of a difficult time getting people to give, you know, this kind of explains why they use some of those fear tactics, you know, and it's not right. You know, you know, you give, you give because you want to give. But, um that is one of the scare tactics that they use. So, you know, I agree, and I can go in depth 
about, um, you know, the tithing thing, because I had a problem with it then, and I schooled a number of pastors on that. But another fear tactic, I'm not sure if you can remember this, and I see you, 804. I'm going to pull, let me pull 804 into the call, and then I'm going to continue on. Is this Deborah? Yes, ma'am. How you doing? I'm doing good, honey. How are you? You know, I I got my time wrong. I thought you was, I thought it was, you know, still at the same old time. Oh, we moved it up. That's why I tagged you a couple of times. But let me finish what I was talking about, and then we'll get back to it. To hear you always. Um, so, you know, we talk about the tithing, but another fear tactic that they use is that touch not mine anointed. You know, mm-hmm. touch not my prophet, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. Now, that is a silencing tactic, that is a fear tactic, that's a guilt tactic as well. Because what they do is they say, you know, touch not mine anointed, and they say that's even speaking against the pastor and speaking against the church. And they tell you all of these horrible things that will happen to you if you, you know, touch mine anointed. And I had to school them on that as well. If you go back to the Bible and you start reading and you know, when the issue came up with David and Saul. So David, you know, was running from Saul, and Saul was pursuing him. David had opportunities to kill Saul, and that's when he used that scripture, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. It's talking about physical harm. But David Mm -hmm. read Saul for points. You know, and and the same thing happened when David, you know, um, had an affair with that woman, and, um, you know, had her husband killed because he put him in a front line in an effort to have him killed so that David could have that woman. And I forget who it was, but he read, you know, David for points. Um, you know, um, um, you know what happened when Peter read Paul, you know, and a lot of the old prophets, you know, they, they, they spoke against some of the other, you know, prophets and apostles there. So if touch not mine anointed really meant not speaking against the church, then why didn't Paul, you know, I mean, why didn't um, um, Peter fall dead when he spoke about Paul? Why didn't I'm David say fall one thing dead? Sorry, I was going to say one thing, and then I'm going to hang up and just listen to the show, but that was such a good point that you just made, because that was one of the things I always wondered was why don't they ask for an accounting of where every single cent is going, especially if you see these mega churches that, you know, your pastor has, like, this two cars mm-hmm. and, a, and a plane and all this kind of stuff, and, like, why don't you ask and, and get an accounting of every single dollar? But like you said, they're scaring them out of asking questions as well, which I think is such an incredible problem. But, again, that was such a great point, and I'm going to listen to the show now. So thank you so much. Okay, well, thank you. I'm going to put you back on hold here. But, you know, yeah, we'll talk about that as well, you know, about the financial accounting, you know, about transparency, about people, you know, putting the information out there, and it should be an accounting. But one thing that I will tell you all, you know, a caveat, is a lot of these pastors have two or three sets of books. So they'll show you one set of books, but that may not necessarily be the true set of books. But in addition to that, I feel that, um, you know, the IRS should audit them like they audit other 501c3s. And so, you know, there should be an accounting of that as well. So, yeah, you should know where every penny goes. You know, you should know how much, you know, they're putting into administration because what a lot of people don't realize is that, 
a lot of the money that goes into the church, they use it for administration. Do you really need that many employees? And I understand about, you know, you know, helping people in the congregation to work and, you know, giving them, you know, that opportunity and, you know, maybe help them to develop skills, which is wonderful. But your organization should not be top-heavy, should not be top-heavy, whereas, you know, 50, 60, 70% of the, you know, the monies that come into the church are utilized for administration, you know, and and it's just really interesting, but yes, but in many cases, they are employing their own children or the children of their cronies, and, you know, the pastor and the wife are taking exorbitant, or the pastor and the husband are taking exorbitant um, salary, so you want to take that into account, and then also, you know, she made a good point about you know the mansions, the, you know, the big homes and the cars and all of that. And I've I've spoken about this on the show before, but I'm not sure. Not everybody has heard the past shows, but let me tell you how some of this works. When you are a 501c3 organization, namely a faith-based, and secular organizations can and do the same thing. The homes that you purchase are under the 501c3. So not only are you not paying taxes on that, the church is paying for that. Um, The cars are leased under the 501c3, and the church is paying for that. The yard work and, you know, the pool upkeep, the church pays for that. The decorations, all of that, all of that comes under that 501c3. So this is not money coming out of their pocket. This is money that is coming from their piggy bank known as the church coffers, if you will. So, <clears throat> excuse me. You know, I think it's important. Go ahead. What's the salary? Yeah, oh, yeah, I was getting to that. Yes, their salary as well as their bonuses. And so when you hear them asking you all to make a love donation, you know, that love donation goes to the pastor. But, <clears throat> excuse me. When you see some of these preachers, like these mega pastors like Jakes and Dollar and Long and Myers and um, um, Paula White and all of them, when you see them and they tell you that they do not take a salary from the church, that they make their money from their own ministry. So you'll see Crackle Dollar Ministries, Inc., or T.D. Jakes Ministries, Inc., or, you know, um, Joyce Meyer Ministries, Inc., they have their own separate company. But who financed that company? Where does that money come from? It came from the parishioners, the lay people. And because you have a lot of people in the church that want to please the pastor, that want to please and, and, and look, um, you know, be as pious and look, you know, righteous, if you will, in the eyes of others, especially those in the church, they purchase those materials. And, again, this is about, you know, manipulation because, you know, you'll hear them say, you better get this CD, you better get this DVD while you can, and, you know, um, encouraging the people to utilize, um, you know, the services of, you know, people in the church that have businesses but only authorized businesses. So if you're not in good with the pastor, if you're not one of the cronies or on the inside circle, you're pretty much SOL. And there are some people that will still network and try to market their businesses. And if you are not well-liked, they will get in the pulpit and say, if we do not tell you about this business, we cannot guarantee, um, you know, their, um, 
you know, their the veracity of their words, the you know, the integrity of that particular business. But, you know, again, you know, these are manipulation tactics. And, again, this falls, some of this falls under the fear, guilt, silence, and shame because, you know, some people do feel shame if they're not able to purchase those books or purchase the DVDs or, you know, again, you know, with some of these churches, it's, it's a fashion show. If you will, you know, you were your Sunday's best, if you will. So, you know, these are some of the things that, you know, we've dealt with. And, you know, I talked a little bit about the tithing, you know, a little bit about to touch not mine anointed and do my profits no harm. You know, they use that quite a bit. And they will tell you that if you speak against the pastor, if you speak against the church, if you speak against, you know, anything pertaining to the Trinity, if you will, that all of these horrible things will happen to you. And that is not necessarily the truth. You know, it's not the truth. You know, not necessarily. It's not the truth. Let me take the necessarily out. Forgive me. And they use, you know, circumstances that, you know, happen in your life. Um, You know, I'll give you one example. You know, um, I'll give a personal example. You know, I have lupus, and, you know, I was diagnosed in 2012. But I had it long before then, but I could never get anyone to give me the diagnosis. And, you know, they found other things that were happening. But, you know, know, anyway, so, you know, I still have some friends that are believers. One particular associate said, well, you know, God did that to humble you and to bring you back into the Mm -hmm. fold. Mm -hmm. They'll tell you stuff like that. And they'll say that that happened as a result of you leaving the church. So I was told that this happened because I left the church. It happened because I have this this demonic podcast. It's happening because I no longer believe, and this is God's way of punishing me. Mm-hmm. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. You know, again, people take situations like that, but it's because of genetics. This is because of genetics, you know, um, autoimmune diseases, you know, run throughout my family. Mm. You know, so there are a number of people that have, you know, thyroid issues, hyperthyroidism, hypothyroidism, lupus, um, and a number, you know, Shrogans um, or Sjogren's, I'm sorry, and, you know, a number of other, um, you know, issues that are happening. Um, So these things happen. You know, and it's just, it's really interesting. The things that they will use, they will take things that happen in your life. Um, I know some women that do not have children, and many of us do not have children by choice. And there are some women that were not able to have children due to reproductive issues. And you will have people in the church saying, God didn't bless you with a child because of whatever reason. And so, you know, again, the fear tactics, the guilting tactics, and, you know, and especially, you know, the silencing. They don't, they don't want you speaking about a lot of the issues that are happening in the church. You know, um, one particular issue is we had some, you know, pederast or pedophile in the church. And, you know, you'll have people with the little whisper campaign. And speaking about these things in private, but too afraid to talk about it, you know, in public and to stand up 
during question and answer session with Bible studies, the ones that are bold enough to allow question and answer, you know, time. And basically, you know, when they get back to the pastor, whether he was the pedophile or someone on his deacon board or one of the ministers, and they will get up there and use that touch not mine anointed or tell them to stop listening to gossip and, and stop passing the gossip around when it has been verified and both, you know, and, and, you know, just verified that this person is a pedophile or a sexual predator. And especially if it's the pastor or someone that, you know, really close, you know, to him, and they will use that type of information to, you know, silence you and shame you. And especially if, you know, let's just say it's a, a young girl in the church that, you know, has been molested. I don't care that she's 16 and 17 and looking like she's 30. She's still 16 or 17 years of age. What they will do is they will shame that little girl. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there have been churches where they will pull that young person up, that young lady that was molested or the young lady that may be pregnant or, you know, what have you, or a woman in a church. It doesn't even have to be a young girl. It can be a fully grown woman. And they will shame them if she's not married. They will shame them. They, they used to have the, you know, the um, what is that called, the seat of the scornful? And they will put you up there in front of everybody and they will make the whole church pray for you after they shame you. And, you know, that still happens in the church. You know, they don't necessarily put you in front of the church. Sometimes they will make you stand up, mm-hmm. and they will talk about you. Or they'll let you sit there, and they will, you know, get in the pulpit and talk about you. And and everybody knows who they're talking about. So, you know, you have the people laughing and, and you know, the scorn and the derision. and It's, it's horrible the disdain, and especially when it's a young girl. I mean, I'll give you one example. Ivy Hilliard, you know, who's a pastor in Texas. I believe he's in Houston. And one of his daughters, you know, his adopted daughter, it was his wife's first child that she had before she married him, and he adopted her. And basically there were some issues with money and IRS, um, and they wanted her to take the fall, but she wouldn't take the fall. So there were some, you know, dealings going on with, you know, whose name things were in. But anyway, when she decided not to take the fall and she walked away from the church, you know, they turned their backs on her, her mom and her dad. And not only did they turn their back on her and her husband, but the, their grandchildren as well. And so she wrote a book a couple of years ago. I actually bought the book and I read it, and it was the saddest thing I ever read. And, you know, they still, you know, I'm, I'm not sure now, but at that time they had not repaired the relationship. So, you know, there are people, you know, not only family members, but members of the church that are ostracized and shunned because they walked away. And that's also part of the guilting and the shaming tactic in fear. And, you know, that's one of the things that people fear when, you know, they leave the church or when they leave religion. And, you know, I'm I'm tying it in, guys. You know, I'm just trying to give you all some examples um, as to some of the things that we went through. Because you fear losing your family. You fear losing, you know, everything that you may have possibly known, especially if you're two, three, four, five generations 
deep in that church. You know, your great, 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 great grandfather may have founded that church. You know, um, one of the first churches founded after slavery, and your family has been, you know, a cornerstone of that church from the very beginning, from the first brick. And, you know, you're proud of that. You know, and this is your family, your extended family, and this is all that you know. Because, again, let's go back to what I was talking about. They teach you to, you know, associate yourself with people that are members of that church. You know, so this is all you know. You didn't really make a lot of friends, if any, outside of that particular circle. You know, you had school friends, but... You know, in some cases, your your parents wouldn't allow you to go and hang out with those children because they didn't know what those families were about. So they didn't want you associating with people that weren't, you know, being taught the same things that, you know, you were being taught. So, you know, there was that fear there. But, you know, you fear losing all of that and yeah. to start over because, you know, one of the things that I had to do, you know, when I – you know, left those friendships, left that relationship, uh, and owned my atheism, my free thought, my, you know, humanism again, is I had to start over. I had to find, you know, new places to go because I just didn't want to deal with the confrontation. Um, new friends, new associations, you know, I had to spend time with myself. You know, and I think that was my biggest fear getting to know me, getting to know the real me, if you will. Because when you're in that type of environment and and the people that go to church, you will know. And, I mean, I see some of the same things over here on the secular side. So, you know, again, when I speak about some of the things in the church, you will hear me contrast that with the secular community at times because I see the same thing over here, so that's why I attribute it to a state of the human condition. But there is an image. There is an image. When you are in the church, you try to project this particular image, and that's part of the fear because you want to be seen as though you're like everyone else. You do not want to be, um, you don't want to necessarily stand out as being someone different. Because, you know, that's also part of the fear. That's part of the xenophobia that we're seeing in this country. But if you're different and you stand out, people tend to fear that. People tend to fear that what, you know, that which they don't understand. So we have to take all of that into consideration also. But there is an image that the church wants you to portray and project. And I remember when I was a minister, and I was on a minister's board, and, you know, we would talk about, you know, things, and, you know, especially if we had to get up there and preach. And one particular pastor, he would say, well, nobody cares that you have problems. Nobody cares that you have worries. Nobody cares about that. And we want you to give off the image of being happy and being enthusiastic and being all of these things because we want to give the people hope. We want you to show them joy. We want you to show them that you are strong in faith, you know, and that, that encourages them. And I was, I was like, well, what about me? I was like, you know, I, I go through things. I have fear. I have, you know, you know, times in which, you know, I want to talk about, you know, some of the things that I'm going through. Maybe they can relate to that. And they were like, they don't want to hear that. But not only did they feel that the congregation didn't want to hear it, the pastor didn't want to hear it either. 
So here you go. Yeah, you're sitting there, and you're dealing with depression, and you're dealing with anger, and you're dealing with, you know, um, you know, all of these issues happening in your life, and you have no one to talk to. So you're, you're being silenced yet again. And if you talk about having these fears or having these worries or problems in your life, you're ashamed because they will tell you that you do not have enough faith and that your faith was weak and that, you know, you must have sinned. And this is why this came, you know, upon you. So, you know, you have to project a certain image of righteousness, if you will. Uh, you, you're supposed to display you know, that you have this strong faith, while on the inside, you're dying. And, and it's just, it's amazing, absolutely amazing, um, a lot of things that you internalize. You know, I had a lot of internalized hatred, you know, and, you know, while I am open about, you know, being a member of the LGBTQ community, I was open about it then. You know, I didn't hide it. You know, um, as a matter of fact, I used to bring my partner to church often. And it was just, you know, interesting because the pastor knew. So, you know, and he would say, let your conscience be your God. But one of the reasons why this particular pastor would say that was because, you know, a lot of the positive things that were happening in the church was because, you know, I was implementing, you know, a lot of these things because, you know, I had the knowledge of how to do certain things. But, um, you know, you know, when you're listening to these messages from these pastors, and, you know, again, if you're a member of the LGBTQ community, you know, there are some of these pastors that are members of the LGBT community, and they will get up there and preach a sermon of fire and grimstone, holiness of hell, and... You know, they will tell you that, you know, if you're a member of, you know, the queer community, if you will, that you're going to hell while at the same time scoping out what's going to be their new piece of chicken for the night. And what I mean by chicken, I'm talking about young Trey, whatever, you know, if this is a male pastor, whatever, little boy or young man who happens to catch their eye or happens to already be one of their side pieces, if you will, because mind you, some of these pastors are married to the person of the opposite sex. And so, you know, it's just it's real interesting. So you have all of that going on. And while you may self-identify and may be open about who and what you are, that hatred is still being internalized because, you know, although, you know, I knew who and what I was, um, there were still some some issues there because, some comments that I would make um, about members of the LGBT community and issues that I would have with certain aspects of the community. And, you know, again, it was like what I was doing was fine, but what they're doing over there, well, that's just weird. Why? And, you know, again, that's hatred. You know, that was, you know, internalized homophobia. And you had to learn. You had to learn, and it's a process. You know, you know, I'm still deprogramming from a lot of that now, still deprogramming from it. And, you know, again, it's about a transformation of the mind, if you will. And, you know, I'm referring to the shedding of the cloak, shedding of the cloak of fear. 
and guilt and silence and shame. And, you know, your mind starts to, you know, your thought process, it starts to transform. And you start looking at these situations and saying that it's not right. And then also, you know, being challenged and critiqued by other people in the community. That is why it's good that we challenge people when they make, you know, these statements about being, you know, about homophobia. You know, challenge these statements about, um, you know, you know, that guilt other people, that shames other people. You know, you have a lot of different types of shaming. You have um, slut shaming. You have fat shaming. You have, you know, a number of different things. And so this is why we call it out. This is why we challenge it because a lot of what you see, a lot of that, you know, it does stem from what we've been taught through religion. And you see it, you know, with some people in the secular community still, and this is why we call it out. And we're showing them that, you know, people are people, and we have to stop, you know, shaming them. We have to stop instilling fear in in them. We have to stop shunning and ostracizing them. Allow people to be themselves because, you know, a lot of the fear tactics and the shaming and the silencing, this is why you have people sneaking around. I really do believe if, if we were more tolerant and more accepting of people and, you know, in their, you know, preferences and their, you know, lifestyles and their, you know, so on and so forth, we wouldn't have nearly as many of the problems and issues that we have. So we have to be more open-minded. We have to encourage people to be themselves and and allow them to be themselves without, um, you know, the shaming and the finger-pointing and guilting them into silence. And it's, it's just a number of things. You know, we have to be comfortable in our skin, and that's something that I had to learn, how to be comfortable in my skin. And, you know, again, as I shed the fear, the guilt, the silence, and the shame, I became more and more comfortable in my skin. But you still have people out there, you know, even in the secular community, that will try to shame other folks, even the people that are comfortable in their skin. And what I find interesting is that the majority of the people that I see pointing the finger at others and shaming others and, you know, instilling fear is because they have some type of self-esteem issues some type of insecurity, and they're projecting, and it makes them uncomfortable or, in some cases, even jealous to see that some people have overcome something that they may not understand or something that they're having issues, you know, shedding themselves. So it's just, it's really interesting. And one of the things that I used to always find most interesting about you know, religious people, but again, I see it over here on the secular side. And I used to call these people changelings and chameleons. And how, when they get around a certain set of people, how they change. And how they change their their vocabulary. Because, you know, it is about vocabulary. It is about language, you know, and that's one of the things that we're learning in the secular community. We're changing the language to kind of pull us out of some of the religious thinking and also some of the religious thought process. But anyway, 
they change. They become chameleons. So there was this one particular group of people. This is what they believe and this is what they represent. When there was this set of people, this is what they believe and this is what they represent. And when there was this other set of people, so on and so forth. So, you know, they become chameleons and it becomes convenient and it becomes a matter of fitting in. And and it's like, you know, I look at some of these people and I'm like, do you even know who you are? And it's not a judgment. It's more of a challenge for them to get comfortable in your skin. Be who you are. It's okay if you don't agree with A, D, or C, or D, all of the above. That's fine. Just know how to express yourself. And that's where some of that fear comes in because there are some people that are afraid to express that dissension, that are afraid to express themselves because they see something differently or they view it differently. There is nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with you being unique. There is nothing wrong with you questioning even the things that you have been taught to question. And that's one of the issues that I've seen in a church. If you, you know, they're taught not to question anything. And that is why many people remain stagnant. They remain stuck in, you know, in, in that mindset. They remain stuck, you know, right. in that particular environment. Exactly, you know, and they're taught not to question. Now, over here in the secular community, I hear people, you know, telling others to question everything. Mm-hmm. And when you start questioning some of the people in the atheist, in the secular, in the humanist, free thought community, then, you know, sometimes, you know, the reaction is that's blasphemous. Especially right. if you're questioning people in the hierarchy of, exactly. you know, of, of secularism, you know. So if you question something that, you know, Hitchens said or Dawkins said or Harris said, you know, there are some people in this community that take offense to that and get angry. And you know, I'm seeing the same thing over here. And, you know, they want they in, 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 in this community here is also silencing. You know, when they wrote that stupid letter two or three years ago, and and they put it out there. Um, it was about silencing those who dissented with some of the status quo, if you will, in this community. And the status quo in this community is white, male, heterosexual, cisgender, wealthy landowner. That is the stereotypical atheist. Mm-hmm. And there are feminists in this community. And the feminists were, you know, and in particular the white feminists, you know, were questioning the hierarchy and challenging the hierarchy in the atheist community, asking why there were not more women, you know, on the boards, why there were not more women speakers, why there were not more women, you know, included in these communities, in leadership. And then here comes the people of color. You know, so here comes the Latinos. Here comes the Asians. Here comes the blacks. And then we started questioning why aren't there more people of color in leadership positions? Why aren't there more people of color speaking at these conferences? Why aren't there more people of color 
members of these organizations and in positions of of leadership and, you know, where they can be seen. And we're not talking about token appointees. We're not talking about your tokens who will get out here and say and do anything so that they can have the celebrity and, you know, anticipating getting some money. And many of them are out here for the booty, for the sex. Come on, let's call it out. If I'm going to call it out on the religious Mm -hmm. side, I'm going to call it out Mm -hmm. on the secular side as well Mm -hmm. because it happens. So, again, you know, and even in the church, you know, especially the black church, the black women started you know, speaking out, why aren't there more women in ministry? Why aren't there more women in leadership? You know, the women are financing it, so why aren't there more women being shown, you know, um, other than cooking and cleaning up and, and the daycare and, you know, out here and promoting these ministries, whether it's the, you know, you know, well, basically the willing workers, you know, and those, all the ministries that are encompassed under that particular um, ministry. And so, you know, you're seeing the same thing, but in the, in the church, they'll use that scripture from Paul when he tells the women to sit in silence and to learn from their husbands. And over here in the atheist community, what I've been seeing, again, since it's a system built, quote, unquote, on meritocracy, which is not necessarily the truth, they'll say that the women have not necessarily earned their way. And that kind of plays into the patriarchy and the misogyny that you see a lot of the feminists speaking about in this community, because if it was about, you know, merit, you know, meritocracy, you know, some of the issues that we've had over the past couple of years wouldn't have happened, namely that issue with the one person who, um, you know, was a little untruthful about their credentials. And, you know, we've talked about that in this community. Oh, I see my guy is on today. There's the Red Ninja. Hey, Red. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Glad to be on this podcast. Yeah, very welcome. Thank you for calling in. So, you know, I'm just talking about, you know, shedding the cloak of fear, guilt, and silence. And, you know, I was talking about, you know, how I was losing my religion. But over here in the secular community, you know, I'm shedding some of, you know, still sloughing off some of that trash, but not only from what I learned in the church, but from what I'm seeing and also learning in the atheist community. So, you know, shedding a lot of the same things over here, and this is what is, this is how I'm growing in my, you know, um, humanism, how I'm growing in my free thought, because again, when we tell you to question everything, we're talking about every aspect of your life, even over here in humanism because it's a lot of trash being taught and, and spoken on this side as well. And you have to learn how to discern. But you also have to learn how to come into yourself, and that's why we encourage people to research. We encourage you to talk. We encourage you not to stay silent. Speak out. You know, there are a lot of people that disagree with me. Fine. I have no issue with it. Um and you go on and, you know, say and believe whatever it is you have to say and believe. And I have no problem when people challenge me, and I'll look it up, you know. And, you know, but see, in this community, especially you, you have some rather antagonistic individuals in this community. And, you know, you also have that on the religious side. So it's on both sides. And they feel if they yell at you or speak over you, that they won the argument, 
No, you've just shown your ignorance because you don't want anyone to hear what the other person has to say. And again, that's a silence. Go ahead, hon. I know what I was going to say is the other thing, too, is that it also exposes insecurity um, because it's never about, like, how much you can yell about a point. Um, Raising your voice does not equal you being right. It just means you being insecure. It's the force of your idea that should always stand or fall. Um, And the other thing I also um, have a problem with is, like you were saying earlier, I don't think that there are atheists that are really skeptical enough of ideas that they hear. So just because you're an atheist doesn't make you a skeptic. No, it doesn't. Exactly. Um, just because you're an atheist, it doesn't make you more intelligent. Um, that's and right. that's something, that, you know, that's something that we all, you know, as atheists and humanists and as skeptics, we learn the hard way because there are plenty of people that use authority on both sides um, as people mm-hmm. And it doesn't just belong in the church. It also belongs, you know, within the atheist community. And um, we hear we hear arguments all the time that are unskeptical against things like, you know, the LGBT community and their rights to marriage. I hear a lot of secular arguments against gay marriage that are strictly yeah. religious. I hear a lot of yeah. arguments um, for the pro-life position or rather the anti-choice position that right. are strictly religious. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. People, and it's like, again, I always say that not everybody learns to be skeptical and not everybody actually outgrows that religious training. And it takes time. Um, and you exactly. have to be skeptical of why you are skeptical. And if, you're, and if you're just skeptical because of the way the church treated you, you're just begging to be converted again. That's right. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. And you're right. absolutely correct. You're, you're begging to be right. converted again. And, you know, like I said, it's not all peaches and cream over here on the secular side because we have homophobes over here. We have people that, you know, still have a lot of that religiosity mindset on this side. We have group thinking on this side. We have a mob mentality on this side. You know, so everything that you that you saw on the religious side, trust me, you're going to see it on this side. And that's why I always contrast two communities. And I'm hoping that, you know, especially some of the free thinkers, you know, the the humanists that listen to this program, I want you to introspect. I want you to examine yourself. And, and, And this is how you challenge yourself to grow. And I'm talking, I'm going a little bit into part three, and, you know, just to kind of give you, you know, a preview of what I'm going to be talking about. But it's going to be along the lines of that, introspecting, going inside of yourself and challenging yourself that, you know, challenging your thought process, challenging the words that come out of your mouth, challenging your actions. Because I'm one of these people, I will not necessarily judge you by the words that are coming out of your mouth. I will gauge you by that, but I will judge you by your actions. And that is what I look for the most. Oh, go ahead. No, baby, go ahead. Well, uh, okay, okay. Really, the bottom line, that they don't they don't do their they don't read and they don't do their research, okay. And a lot of people are playing follow the leader, because everybody right. okay yeah everybody's going to church why not? See, they need to study. You know what I'm saying? That's all I'm saying. And the, and them preachers up there know you ain't studying. 
That that's the thing. So they they under, they know you don't read no Bible, okay? And then they go out here. Here they go. A brand new. Uh, here, here comes another brand new Bible first. Every time they they do that, it changes the meaning of a lot of things in the Bible. You understand to make it look more prettier. They need mm-hmm. the oldest one they can find. Okay, if you really <laughs> want to get into what that bad boy is really, the ugliness that they don't preach, mm-hmm. this is the oldest Bible you can find. You know, exactly. you, need, you need to know. You know, I mean, seriously, it don't make any sense to me. It's like, you know, I, and, and, and what Hagen said, they don't know and they don't want to know. That's the thing. They don't and, want and to there's, know. There's, there's a yeah. reason why they... There's a reason why they don't want to know that either. Um, there, are exactly. in the, there are several passages in the Bible that specifically state that the wisdom of this world is foolish, that uh-huh. to lean not on your own understanding. Um, yeah. You'll notice that when a Christian is raised, they're not taught based on historical argument. No. Okay, when, you know, when we're raised as children to believe, um, we're not taught proper apologetics. It all starts with there is a hell. You're going to go to it if you don't accept what I say, and here's your escape hatch. Then okay. once that's established, anything that actually goes against that training is said to be foolish because there are several extremely sneaky and subversive Bible verses that specifically state that the wisdom of this world is foolish. Learning is foolish. Knowledge yeah. is foolish. God deceives. I love pulling out Second Thessalonians on tons of Christians yeah. because it specifically states in one particular passage in that book that mm-hmm. God deliberately lies and deceives those who he doesn't want to be saved. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. So when Christians want exactly. to talk about it also Christians love talking about free will. They love talking about how we have a choice. But if yeah. a God exists and He's omnipresent and omniscient, can you ever make a choice that God doesn't see in advance? And can He actually use that against you? Mm-hmm. Exactly. How much? And how much? Yeah, much exactly. Of a I tell them that all the time because if it's been preordained. If your mm-hmm. life has already been preset, preordained, pre, you know, thought God has already seen it, then how do you have free will? And why are you being punished? Because if he already saw it, he already knows what you're going to do. So I guess my question, and I've asked Christians also this question, why pray? If he already knows all of these things, why are you praying? Why are you worried about anything? Exactly. And, that's when, and that's when they start going, they start going on about, you know, well, God's ways are above our ways, and, you know, how dare we question God and we can't understand God's will and, you know, that all of these other, they all, you know, Daniel Dennett calls these, you know, like deputies. They're uh-huh. saying words, but they don't actually mean anything at all. They don't understand it and they, not, they don't want to understand what it is that they're saying because they're the taught that to think is to send them to hell. Wisdom is exactly. foolish to the Christian. They don't care about what's actually true. Also in Thessalonians. And that's sad. Also and it's in Thessalonians. Watch. Yes, it is. Also in Thessalonians, I, I I think it's Thessalonians three, something like that. But they're supposed to prove what they say. 
you understand, which goes completely opposite of what not knowing. You understand what I'm saying? I, I you know, and, and and the reason I read the Bible, I'm gonna tell you why I read it. I, I I read it. Took time to do my research. When I was a little child, you know, about seven or eight, my mama, my mama, my mama was a good cook, you know, and she mm-hmm. cooked pies and cakes. And I, when she wasn't around, or she was gone. I sneak in there, and I I cut a little piece. I was good at cutting the pies, you know, but the cake now, you know, they crumbly, right? And them, right. That, that, them crumbs red came all the way back to my room. She ain't had to do. She ain't had to go in the refrigerator. So all she had to do was follow the crumbs. I say that because whenever you steal something, you leave crumbs. And when they wrote that Bible, a lot of stuff, of course, was copied from other books. Okay. Right. And they left things in there that you need to research and that the preacher don't preach on. Okay. And that's why I'm saying, you know, but even when I was a little girl, you know, we had to memorize, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I mm-hmm. was like, okay, I ain't supposed to want for nothing. I, I got it. You know, I, I took, look at all all that, and it was, I, ain't none of it was true, because I want it. He laid right. me down in green. I ain't seen no green pastures. he was laying me down. You know what I'm saying? Things like that didn't make no sense as a little girl. But they uh-huh. don't. They doctrinate you with these. Uh, that's why I'm glad they took prayer. I don't mind if you want to put prayer in church. Oh, I mean, uh, in school, then have a class for it. You know, study uh, the different religions or whatever. Uh, study the right. history, which they don't want to get into that. No, they don't. <laughs> did, did you? I don't think. You know, they don't want to get into the history. So don't doctrinate my kids. Okay, unless you tell them right. what you're being indoctrinated about. That's all I'm saying. Well, oh, yeah, I mean, but then you gotta have to do a contrast. Go ahead, go ahead, Red. Oh, no, what I was going to say is, um, did you see that video on YouTube when um, the Hindu leader actually got up in front of the Senate and tried to lead a prayer and the Christians flipped their shit? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah, I saw that. So, no, they're not being sincere when they want prayer in schools because they'd want all prayer in schools if that were the case. They wouldn't be intimidated or ashamed of allowing another person's ideas to be open. But it's never about having all ideas be open. It's about having their ideas be open. Their control. Exactly. And, you know, I have to do, you know, a contrast, you know, because, you know, I agree with what you all said, but I have to show it over here on this side of the equation as well, on the secular you know, side of the equation, and, you know, you know, you have, again, your appeal to authority. You have your hierarchy. And in the atheist community, it's actually from the top down. And just that's how it is in the religious community when it should be from the bottom up. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were talking about, you were all talking about how, um, you know, people are silenced and, you know, we have the same issue over here. People are ashamed. If, you know, there are some people that are ashamed if they say that they have not read, you know, anything by the four horsemen. You know, if you come into the community, there are people that, you know, um, 
you know, basically what I've seen, some of the tactics that I've seen some of, some atheists and militant atheists and anti-theists use, they use, um, you know, shame and fear and, you know, guilt and silencing, you know, to shut down Christians, to try to force them to, you know, leave religion. And, you know, we have to address that. That is something that's atheist, you know, I mean, I understand some of the confrontational in your face. Okay, some of that is fine, but then there are some times when it's overboard. And it's overboard. Yes, and how yes. do you expect to have a dialogue, yeah, with these people? When you're doing the same thing to them that's happened on a religious side, and many of them, you know, still cling to their religion, and, you know, we're all into all of these logical fallacies over here, Stockholm Syndrome. And in some cases, they're creating some of the same scenarios over on this side. You know, there are some people that feel beholden to a certain person or a certain group because these people or this group help them to leave religion. And, you know, like Deborah was saying earlier, you have some people that just want to be led, that are just natural followers. We have the same thing. Yeah. They don't been yeah. you know, a lot of people have been through hell and back. Yeah. I mean, uh, compared to what I've been through, I mean, it's, it's like a walk in the park where some of these people have gone through. And they yeah. need, they don't care about truth. They just need somebody to pay attention to them and take care of them. I understand exactly. that very much. And I love, okay. I love my people. And I can understand okay. where you're coming from about some of these people go overboard some of these people who know uh, don't have the patience, or or and also they don't got frustrated, okay. But they right. gotta realize everybody ain't gonna get it on, and and everybody ain't gonna get it, and some people ain't just ain't gonna get it in time. As simple as that. Right, and you know, and you know, with some of and the, the you other, know, what the you were saying. Go ahead, Red. Oh no, the other thing we have to remember too is um. The majority of atheists have to remember what it was like when they were Christians. Exactly. Right. Okay. So not everybody is going to be attracted by venom because, if anything, Christians are already used to being told that the reason exactly. why atheists are angry is because they need Jesus. Mm-hmm. So when you yeah. come at them angry, all you're doing is confirming their beliefs. Exactly. Exactly. And you're, and you're in, getting in, them in, to dig in their heels further and entrench them further because all you're doing is, quote-unquote, confirming scripture to them. So exactly. the best thing that you can do is to lead by example and to live your life morally and fairly and to and never bring up religion unless somebody asks you what you believe and why. But exactly, exactly. And actively seek fights and actively seek arguments and actively seek to tear down people's faith uh, honestly, just makes you insecure because it shows that you need other people to think like you in order to actually feel good about yourself, and that's unacceptable exactly. regardless as to whether you're a skeptic or a religious person. Exactly, and I agree with you, and we've not stated that, and, you know, we've talked about that. As a matter of fact, you know, I just wrote down, the, you know, what I'm going to do on another show, how atheists reinforce faith. We're going to do a whole show on that going to get to that, but um, yeah, and so, you know, some of these people, when I see them coming, you know, I call them the mentors, 
you know, I'm a big Harry Potter fan, if you all haven't figured that out. And I've seen that on both sides of the equation, and, you know, but I believe what surprised me the most, because I was used to that on the Christian side, but when I saw it over here on the secular side, that really threw me for a loop, because I'm like, you know, you're trying to suck every ounce of happiness out of my damn body. And so, you know, it's okay to have joy. And to be happy, and 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 to and to you know live life on your terms, as you know a non-believer as well as a believer. But um, again, about the people that are just looking for someone to lead them, you know there are some people in this community that are the same way. And one thing I want to say is that not everybody who is wandering is lost. You understand there are some people that do not choose to be a part of a group, that choose to not be a part of the group, choose to not be a part of a community, that are independent. That doesn't mean that they're lost. It just means that, you know, they're finding their own way. But, you know, I see a lot of that herd mentality on this side as well. Oh, I'm with this group of people, or I'm with that group Um, of people. And and, um, I... That whole thing with, like, atheism plus, you know, and the whole divide over, you know, whether atheism equals feminism or not, um, it's ridiculous that we have to even consider the idea that feminism is somehow not important, that exactly backing at progressive ideas about equality for both men and women are not important, and it it's it's incredible to me that we have atheists and non-believers out here that will actually debate whether feminism is valid and whether women are simply um, overstating their case, quote unquote. Okay, um, now see, well, I'm right there with you because I had Greta Christina on the show um, a few weeks ago. This is before I had you know, we went to the conference, and we talked about that, and she was saying how, you know, a lot of those um, causes are considered mission drift. You know, feminism is considered mission drift. Um, race, racism is considered, you know, mission drift when we were bringing up the issues about race relations in this community. Yeah. And the only reason why LGBTQ isn't considered mission drift is because people were trying to justify it with the Bible. Well, they justified racism with the Bible as well. They, they, they justify subjugation of women with the Bible as well. And that's what I'm saying. We're seeing the same thing on this side that we saw on the other side. And then there are some people out there that are against, you know, atheism plus, that are against atheism and, you know, things like that. And the thing is, is that to me, you know, what I'm seeing is a lot of competition. And you don't hear People in this community, I've heard some black people, some black women that have come down against, you know, black women atheists that have come down against um, feminism and, and they oh, yeah. say, it, you know, a little competition is good for you. That is one of the problems. The mindset of comp- there's room for everybody to do whatever. It's like this. We're, we're going in the same direction. If they want to focus on social justice over here and focus on feminism over here and focus on anti-theism over there, why can't we all just work together on the things that we do agree on? Because, you know, not everybody is going to think the same. We're not a monolith over here either. The black community is not a monolith. The Latino community is not a monolith. You know, the um, 
um, the, you know, the, the um, females, men, uh, we're not monoliths. You know, everybody, you know, has differences of some sort. And, you know, this is one of the reasons why we're trying to knock it down now in the infancy of this particular movement of atheism or secularism or humanism is because we're seeing it and we need to deal with it before it gets out of hand and, begin, and, and, and gets too entrenched on this side. So even though, you know, this is about losing my religion part one, you know, part of this helping me to lose my religion is seeing some of these issues on the atheist side and being able to identify it, you know, being able to critique it and identify it and see that it's a lot of things that we have in common. And that's where some of the danger comes in because you have some people that are leaving religion and then they start looking at the secular community. And if you have a group like those ones that are homophobic, the people that are leaving the church that are homophobic, well, they become secularists, some of them do, and they come over here and they find another homophobic group, and they feel comfortable. They shouldn't feel comfortable over there. And this is where we are falling down on the job. Um, and, and so it's, it's just it's interesting, you know, when you start you looking at these different dichotomies. Hmm? you got to get, you gotta get yeah, rid of all that. Yeah, and I think what it's, what it's honestly going to take. You know, you, that church mind has to completely, whatever, if they say it's white, you need to understand, and you, you need to say it's black. You, you, they they have to get rid of that church mind. You mm-hmm. understand? A lot of stuff in it is completely wrong. And as far as, this is all I want to say, I'm this way. Uh, don't start, none won't be none. You come in my face. True. That's that's all I gotta say. You come in my face. Right. Don't expect me that's to right. always. It's uh, honestly. Amen, sister. Okay. Cool. Ah. <laughs> oh. You know. Red. Uh. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. yeah no. No. What I was what I was gonna say is um it's just honestly gonna come down to simply asking people um. What do you believe? Why do you believe in it? And why should I believe in what you believe? Yeah, and what's your evidence? Right. Okay, and that's that it. I, it doesn't matter whether it doesn't matter what position you hold on any issue. It comes down to what do you believe? Why do you believe it? And where's your evidence? And that's it. Um, exactly. And we need to ask that question more often instead of just agreeing and saying, "Oh, well, all right," and not change our minds right. when we're proven wrong. Period. Exactly, and what I find. Go ahead, Deborah. Go ahead. I just wanted to say another thing that 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 they need they need to understand, um, understand a lot of stuff. What they read, they need to get into the etymology of words, where they come from. Just like when I just said, "Amen." Okay. Amen <laughs> comes from Amen Hotel. Okay, a lot of words like. Hallelujah. That's that's praising Yah. Okay, you're dealing with uh, Rastafari, you know. It's a lot of little words have been changed so much, you know, uh, 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 and they need to, if they see a word that don't, they need to check it out. That's all I'm saying. To, to, uh, that That has a lot to do we're getting deeper into what's what I mean, the way I see it, if 
Right. You really say you love God? I would want to know everything about God. This is what I can't. I would like to, if I, you want to love God, you ought to know every damn thing about it. I'm sorry. Okay, so you, no, that's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna respond to what you said, and then I'm gonna make the point that I was gonna make earlier. Christianity mm-hmm. is nothing but an aggregation of a number of other belief systems. That's, that's all okay. it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's taken you know things from other religions like you know Christmas and you know all of that. You know those holidays, and they've been mm-hmm. pulled from other religions. And as soon as you tell a Christian that, you know, particular holidays are pagan in nature, you know, they get angry. And when, you know, you start showing them proof about, you know, how some of the earlier believers didn't believe in Christmas, they and they banned it when they first came to this country. And, you know, a number of things. So, you know, it opens their eyes, but there's a way to show them and to teach them these things without being confrontational, without being nasty, without making them feel even more shame. Because, you know, that goes back to what Red just said. You know, it causes them to dig in deeper. And it causes them also to turn off their ears and their eyes and their brain. And, and, and you know, as, as though you're not even in the room. So there is a way to do this and to challenge them and let them find it on their own. You know, you give them, you know, you, know, you plant a seed. You give them just enough to pique their interest and encourage them to go out and read and research. Because, you know, I always tell them, prove me wrong. You do the research and you come back to me and then we can talk about it. And while they're doing their research, they're finding out more. That's what I want. I want them to find out more. I want them to start questioning and doubting things. So there is a method to the madness, at least, you know, where I'm coming from with what I do. But I'm going to go back to something that Red said when he was talking about evidence, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, you know, we need to start telling people over here on the secular side to provide evidence because there was um, an issue. Um, Raina, you know, who's on this show frequently, she wrote a blog in which she challenged and critiqued, um, you know, an individual in this community who had made videos um, with others, you know, talk shows or roundtables or what have you, in which, you know, they you know, made some very homophobic, you know, sexist statements and anti-Semitical statements and, you know, all of that. And there were people in the atheist community, you know, namely a few atheist leaders that defended this individual. And the whole conversation pretty much shut down when Raina demanded evidence. Mm -hmm. And so Christians aren't the only ones that shut down when you demand evidence. I've seen that with atheists as well, because we have yet to see the evidence of how he's a friend to the LGBTQ community and how he has this love for women and feel that, you know, women, you know, are on the same accord. You know, so there are videos showing that, you know, he is, you know, anti-LGBTQ and, you know, and basically feel that women are inferior, there should be the same number of videos showing that he has evolved and that he has, you know, become more enlightened. So, you know, until we are shown the evidence, you know, we're not necessarily going to change our stance. And we're not saying that he cannot, he, you know, hasn't evolved. What we're saying is we would like to see it, call it out in public. Because that he's... 
hold on one second. I'm going to let you speak, Rick. Because many of the people that he associated with are still quite homophobic, are still quite misogynistic, are still quite, you know, anti-Semitical. So this is, you know, anti-Semitic. So, you know, um, you know, we want people, give us the evidence. Give us the evidence and we'll let it go and move on. So go ahead, Red. Um, I, I should probably preface one statement about that, though. Um, you know, I do believe in free speech. Um, I do believe yeah. in the idea that, I don't have to like what you say, but I can agree to allow you to say something. Just don't expect anything to be said without consequences. If a Christian wants to get on television and denounce the gay community for, you know, living in quote-unquote sin or whatever, okay, fine. I'm not going to get angry at you, but don't be surprised if I come out and challenge that nasty why. So it's not even so much about the fact that people are saying these things. It's just that if somebody wants to, if somebody expects not to be challenged on the statement, um, they got another thing coming Mm -hmm. because your statement should always be challenged. Exactly. Exactly. So I respect your right to say it, but I don't have to respect what you say. Mm -hmm. I'll let you have your word. But you better exactly. you better be able to back it up. Don't start no Exactly, and, and that's that's my point, you know, because when they were defending this individual, and you know that individual even you know wrote, um, responded or made a comment on Raina's blog, and you know she created created another blog from that comment. We have yet to see the evidence, and it's not that they have to prove anything to us because it's because they don't have to. You know, but the thing is, is that we will continue to challenge that, to challenge those mindsets, challenge, you know, those issues. And if you don't like it, that's fine. You don't have to like it. But if you're going to come out defending these issues, you need to be ready to provide evidence, just like we tell the religious people, the Christians, to provide evidence. When they can't provide evidence, we discount it and we move on. And I do the same thing with some atheists and humanists. You cannot provide evidence. You have a right to say it, but I don't, you know, I don't have to believe it, and I'm not going to support it. So, I um, mean, and, you know, that's how I see that. Go ahead, Ray. Um, The other thing, um, another very, like, unpopular issue um, in the secular community is in regards to being pro-choice versus pro-life. And, you know, I'm a yeah. male, and it's not easy for me to talk about, um, but it really does shock me how so many people don't understand the concept behind being pro-choice. Mm-hmm. And I'm not out here saying that I would use abortion as a first-degree measure for all birth control. I don't have to necessarily like the idea of babies being aborted, but when when you fail to understand what it means to have bodily autonomy um, and when you fail to understand exactly what the consequences are of actually getting rid of things like abortion clinics, actually getting rid of companies like Planned Parenthood and things of that nature, um, when you fail to actually understand why it is that abortion actually exists, and that it's not just because of 
people wanting to, quote-unquote, not face consequences for sleeping around, um, which is another thing that I hear from atheists, you know, when they say, well, you know, if everybody aborted, that means that women can just sleep around and do whatever they want. Uh, no, that's not true, because you have a lot of women who, when they get pregnant, find out that they, have, they face medical conditions that are potentially exactly. fatal. Exactly. Okay, and not everybody wants an abortion. In fact, if they want abortion to go away, I think the best way to do that is to provide things like birth control and contraception and proper sex education in schools so that we don't have to face this we don't have to face this epidemic of abortions that we actually are facing. Like Texas, one of the most religious states in the United States has the highest abortion rate despite actually getting rid of close to 30%, 40%, 50% of their clinics, mm-hmm. right? And it's exactly. because if you get rid of the clinics, they're going to do it illegally. Exactly. And women are going to exactly. go to even more desperate measures to get rid of that baby. Mm-hmm. And it just creates terrible circumstances. So how do we get rid of this? We say, okay, what about providing contraception so that they don't have to go and get that abortion? What about giving the birth control pills? Oh, no, we can't have that because that means women are just going to act like, and I'm sorry to say this, it's not my opinion, but women are just going to act like whores, and we can't have that. And, but, and see, and that's, that's part of, you know, what we talk about as far as, you know, sex positivity is concerned. Women enjoy sex. Some women do. You know, uh, I would say most women do, you know, whatever form. What is wrong with that? There is nothing wrong with enjoying sex. And some of that, you know, that religious mindset, especially that puritanical mindset, you know, you give birth control and they go out and have more sex. So then what? Are you mad because they they don't want to have sex with you? Is that the issue? You know, it's not the issue. And that's, it's outrageous to me, you know, when you hear, like, there was this guy, um, I think his name is Pastor Steve Anderson. I'm pretty sure this guy is leading, like, some sort of a cult. But, like, I listen to this guy, like, absolutely rail against birth control and contraception and and just going on for, like, ten minutes about how women are indulging whoredom, and yet we find out that his wife had to have an abortion and had to have a pregnancy pulled if his wife was going to live. And it's like, okay, if the only moral abortion is your abortion, then you can't really say abortion is wrong, can you? Exactly. Some of these same, like, anti-choice protesters you will find in the clinics when they find out that their circumstances determine that they have to have this abortion if they want to actually live. That's true. That's true. You know, there are no... I mean, there are a number of circumstances, and, you know, I feel, you know, there are a lot of people that, you know, try to say that abortion equals genocide, and I've seen those ads in the black community, big old billboards all over the place, and, you know, a lot, what a lot of people aren't taking into consideration is children are expensive, and these women, you know, especially the ones that are being forced to have these children, um, you know, that's, 
you know, this is this unreal and it's unfair. But, you know, again, it goes back to fear because, you know, you have people not only in the black community but also the white community because, you know, you hear some of these, you know, um, white nationalists or Klansmen or whomever, they, they talk about, you know, the white race becoming extinct. So that's a fear that's, that's that they have. And, they're, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, shaming these women into having these children and manipulating the system so that they don't have access to whatever they need to deal with their reproductive needs. And it, it's just, um, you know, we have to start bringing that out because a lot of that is, you know, religious in nature, you know, and especially the justification for, you know, um, not allowing certain things. And we have to grow beyond that. We, ha- we, we have to get beyond that because it's not fair. And, you know, I wrote a blog a long time ago about how, you know, from what I, have, what I had experienced and seen in the church, how some of these people force their children, namely these young girls, to have these babies as a method of shaming them for getting pregnant in the first place, after the parents told them not to go have sex. And so, you know, they're being forced to have these children, children that they do not want. And, you know, we're seeing all of these incidents of child abuse, of people killing their children, and just a number of different issues. And, you know, all of this is tied together in one respect or another. And this is why we bring it out. And, you know, you have people, you know, pointing the finger in particular at poor communities. And the reason why I'm saying poor communities as opposed to black and Latino communities, because the same thing happens in poor white communities, you know. And I, I, you know, I want to make sure that I include, you know, poor white people because they point at them and say, why are you having all of these children that you can't afford? Why are you having these children that you can't take care of, you know, whether, you know, they can't spend time with them? I mean, it's just a number of ways that a child can be neglected. And basically, you know, and people try to shame them and guilt them, but this is the thing. There is not access to birth control in all of these, you know, communities. And, you know, people talk about, you know, how – Planned Parenthood is about eugenics. There are not enough Planned Parenthood, there are not enough abortion clinics to, to wipe out an entire race of people. Sorry, they they're just, you know, aren't enough. And right. there are not a lot of, you know, um, options given to those children, especially even with some of these kids to have, you know, that know to go to the pharmacy and ask for the morning after pill or what have you. There are pharmacists, and now they are allowed to deny those children or anybody, a woman, child, whoever, they are allowed to deny them access to that due to their religious beliefs. So, yeah. you know, it, and, it's and just it's amazing. Go ahead, honey. And that's and and I and I always thought that it was outrageous that these same people will then turn around and tell these children that they can't have welfare benefits, that these single mothers cannot have health benefits, that they can't have access to this school or this education or have these benefits and actually try to shut down health care. It's like if you're really gonna be pro life, if you're really gonna say that you care about every child and that every life is sacred then treat that life as sacred in all aspects. Don't just turn around and say, okay, we're going to force you to have this child, but wait a minute, now that you've had that child, get out of my hospitals. Stop trying to get after our health care. You're just eating up our resources. That is fucking outrageous. It is. How can you say that and tell tell people that you're pro-life 
and not truly be about pro-life in all aspects. How are you going to be pro-life in the womb and pro-survival outside of it? Fuck them. How, how can you say that? Right. Let's, let's, let's get I want to ask a question. Okay, go ahead. Can go ahead. I ask a quick, a quick question? Yes, ma'am. Uh, is the church also against condoms? Well, some are. You know, wow. uh, the Catholic Church most definitely are. Wow. So, so, I mean, you can pick yeah, that up at so, the drugstore. You ain't got to go to the doctor or nothing. You can pick them right. up at the drugstore. But, you know, you got to remember wow. some, of them, some of them have been taught that, you know, any type of birth control is going, you know, against the Bible, is going against, you know, their beliefs. But I just want to bring this back to center. Let's bring it back wow. to center because, you know, this does play into the topic, you know, um, you know, about the fear and the guilt and the silence and the shame. You know, all of these, you know, all, all of that is part of controlling the masses. So, you know, yeah. with the legislation that is being and put out I, I there. And I always thought that. Yeah. Go ahead, Red. Oh, no, I was going to say is, um, I was, oh, no, yeah, what I was going to say is, um, it, it it's always interesting to me that whether you want to be pro-life or pro-choice or not, um, I always thought that religions have the absolute least, should have the least amount of say in whether a life is sacred, because it is, it is deliberate. They do want to control how many children are born into the world. They do want to control that precisely because without children, they don't have followers. Without children, they don't have Jesus camps. Without children, they don't have the church. Right. They don't have, exactly. any, they don't have anybody else to pass their ideas to. They don't, have, they don't have a guarantee that their religion is going to survive if they, can, if they can't control childbirth. That's exactly. why you have exactly. these. That's why the pool exists. Quiverful movements exist because they know they need to have children to fund their empire. Exactly. 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 And so we're going to bring it back to center here because, you know, all of that is, you know, about control. It's a construction of control. And that's why, you know, I feel they fear, guilt, shame, and silence. You know, those are the cornerstones of the church. As far as I'm concerned, you know, there are other people that may feel other ways, and, and, and that's okay. But, you know, this is why we talk about these things, because we want to foster this type of conversation and then go back into the history. And, you know, one of the most difficult things about talking about you know, these types of issues and having these types of conversations is there are too many people that don't know the history. So it makes it difficult to talk about. And that's why when we talk about these issues, that's why we put it in context. So, you know, you know when we were just talking about the abortion and then earlier when we were talking about the tithes and, you know, the scriptures and all of that, putting it in context and putting it in a way that people can relate to and people can understand so they can foster a better, you know, knowledge base and a better understanding and, and, and be able to go forward and, and, and figure out what's happening here. But, you know, again, you know, even though I left the church and, you know, I started shedding a lot of that religiosity, a lot of that mindset, you know, what's helping me lose even more of that religiosity is being a part of the secular community and being able to sit back and watch and being able to identify what is religiosity and where that came from. 
and being able to have these conversations and share that information with others. And that's why we encourage people to go out. But, yeah, you need to be able to identify it. You need to be able to challenge it. You need to be able to provide evidence if that is what, you know, you believe in. And so it's, it's just it's really interesting. But, again, like I said earlier, it's about, you know, transforming or transformation of your mind. And I feel that it's also about living life on your own terms and being comfortable in your skin. And, you know, what I find interesting is that in both communities you have people trying to put you in a box trying to, you know, tell you how you should think or how you should act. As a matter of fact, um, we had someone tweet at us, um, was it yesterday or the day before, when um, Dr. Hutchison had put out a press release saying that black atheists were standing in solidarity with a particular group and a particular issue, you know, with Marissa Alexander. You know, I'll just go ahead and tell you guys about it. And because we were part of a letter writing campaign, and you still write letters to Angela Corey uh, regarding Marissa Alexander, you know it was just that our campaign was until today and but this is an ongoing campaign, so we encourage you to write a letter if you feel you know you know if you want to do so. but you know we had someone tweet back at us asking if we stood in solidarity with you know certain other groups. And our response was, yes, at times. There are times when we we will stand in solidarity with other groups. And basically he said that we shouldn't because our atheism should come first. And, you know, as atheists, you know, that many atheists, or in 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 his response was that atheism, that atheists should stand in solidarity with atheism first. And so it's, it's, it's interesting on how there are people out there trying to control the narratives on both sides. And, and, you know, and, and, I'm and, looking, and I, would, I would also ask that person, uh, whose version of atheism? Right. Exactly. Okay, because okay. there are plenty of atheists that have different opinions on all sorts of issues. Um, exactly. But if you expect me to just accept an argument from authority by saying, if you're an atheist, therefore you have to agree with this, um, right. I, like I told them, I'd go, to, I'd go to the church for that. Exactly. Like if, I really, exactly. if I really wanted an argument from authority on how I feel upon a particular issue, and if I really wanted to just, if, if it's really all about the fact that if you're an atheist, therefore you have to agree with me and you have to put this first, um, I could have gone back to Christianity for that. I could go back to church for an argument from authority, honestly. Right. But I'm not. And exactly. it's not about being an atheist first. It's about being a human being first. Exactly. Because whoever you are and what you believe, we are all human beings, whether you are a Christian, a Muslim, a Jew, a Hindu, a Buddhist, or an atheist. We are all human beings first. And we want the best of all possible worlds. It's just a matter of how you get there. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, what we try to convey through these shows and, you know, and the research and the webcasts and everything that we put out there. You know, you have to be an individual, a human being first. And you determine, you know, how you um, relate to other people, what you believe, so on and so forth. It's about living life on your own terms. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And there are going to be people that you disagree with 
and there are going to be people that you may debate issues on. If you're someone like me, I'm not going to debate you on the issues. I'm going to present what I have to say, listen to what you have to say, maybe even ponder what you have to say, but that doesn't necessarily change my position. Nine times out of ten, I'm going to maintain my position. But, you know, I'm willing to listen to what you have to say and move on. But, you know, um, it's just it's really interesting. So, you know, part of this is, 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 is growing. It's a growing, you know, it's growth. And, you know, as I become more and more entrenched in the, you know, secular community, and become more involved in, you know, just the communities in general, going out here and working on social justice projects, you know, community um, services and things of that nature. You know, you start looking at things differently because you have a, you know, you start to glean a different type of understanding. And, you know, when you, you know, factor in history into this, you start looking at a lot of things a lot differently, and this is why... You know, I've kind of come down on some of the black atheists, humanists out here, especially the ones pointing the finger at the black church and mocking and ridiculing, you know, um, black Christians and, and certain people in the black community that, um, you know, that they, some of the black atheists are trying to, um, you know, assign pathologies to. Um, no, some of what they're saying and some of what they're doing is wrong on a number of levels. And they're not, you know, factoring in, you know, all of the, all of the different components that have made and created the situation that many of us live in and that we face on a daily basis. So, you know, for the people out there that are listening to the show, yes, I question, challenge, and critique religion, but I also question, challenge, and critique secularism as well. So, you know, I'm you know, I'm truly skeptical of all things and all people, you know, and it takes a while before I, you know, let somebody in or get extremely comfortable with them. But, you know, what I would say to you all is, again, live life on your terms, be comfortable in your own skin, question everything, research everything. I tell people all the time, fact check me. I've been known to be wrong. I've corrected myself. I've come on the show and apologized and corrected something that I may have misstated or been misinformed on or, you know, or just clearly was outright wrong. And I have no problem. This is how I grow. And, you know, I'm not afraid to say that I make mistakes. I'm not afraid to say I don't know. And neither should you be. You should not be afraid of that. And you're going to meet a lot of different people along the way. You know, just because you may have someone that supports you as far as support supporting what you're saying in one regard, it doesn't mean that they actually mean it. They, they're just happy that you're against the people they're against. You understand? Right. You have different types of people in this world, and you need to understand that. And there are some people that are truly in your corner that, you know, believe the same things you believe, have done some of the research that you've done and, and are encouraged to do more research, and they support you. You know, that's a small circle of people, a small circle of people. And those are the ones that will be there through the good, bad, ugly, and indifferent. So, you know, you need to learn how to categorize people because not everybody that's out there cheering for you is really for you. Right. And you need to understand that. And so, 
you know, find some joy in your life. I watched this um, YouTube video yesterday, and it had Lisa Fisher and Bell Hooks and actress, her name is Kim. I think her last name is Austin. I don't remember, so forgive me. But it was a very good talk, and it was talking about, you know, it was a feminism talk, of course. It had Bell Hooks in it. But they were talking about, you know, uh, the female and the female body. And, you know, it kind of ties in a little bit about what we're talking about today when we were talking about reproductive rights and the right to choice and, you know, again, with the fear, guilt, violence, and the shame. And, you know, and, you know, this goes for everybody, male, female, you know, um, you know, unidentified, what have you. You know, find some joy in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, identify what joy is to you and identify what gives you joy. You know, personally, I get joy when I help others, which is why I do this show, which is why we do the webcast, which is why we're getting out in the community. You know, this makes me happy. And this is part of my growth, which is part three, my growth in humanism. And when I prepare for these shows and when I talk to other people in the community, you know, sometimes, you know, I take notes. I always take notes for the show. But when I'm talking to other people, you know, I take notes and I go back and, you know, I research on it or I'll ruminate on it and, you know, let it marinate and come back to it and think on it. And, you know, that is what gives me joy, exercising my brain, knowing, you know, getting more knowledge in me and knowing that I'm helping others. That gives me joy, okay? And that's one of the things that gives me joy. It's not the only thing that gives me joy, but, you know, I wanted to let you all know how much you mean to me and what you mean to me and why I personally do, you know, what I do. Because I, you know, I get a lot of joy out there. I want to say hi to Brandy and everyone else who writes me periodically. Um, thank you. You know, that brings me joy as well, knowing that, you know, we're out here helping people. When you talk to me and you tell me, you know, whether it's an inbox, an email, or, you know, the people that, you know, I interact with face-to-face when they tell me that, you know, they enjoyed something that I said or even if they challenged something that I said, I'm happy with that because it lets me know that you're paying attention. It lets me know that you're coming into your own, and that's what matters to me. You know, know, I've had people say that I should get out here and do more call to actions. I do do call to actions, but I tell people to act on their own accord. So, you know, because, you know, again, I don't want to set up that type of hierarchy that we left in religion. I don't want to tell people what to do and how to do things because, again, you know, I feel that your individuals, you know, I have enough confidence and respect for the people that listen to the show and people in this community. I have enough respect for them to know that they're going to do what's best for them. And it's not up to me to tell someone how to live their life. And like Red said, if you want something like that, it's best to go back to the church. I'm not trying to set up an atheist church. We have atheist churches out here, more power to them. You have atheist pastors or what they call themselves as atheist pastors. You have them out there. You know, I refuse to bring that dichotomy over to this side of the equation. So, you know, I... Pardon me, ma'am. I mean, how 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 do they preach or oh, whatever? Well, they I mean, I mean I'm just trying to figure out how they do that. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> they That's they, all they preach for God. 
Oh, you don't know. It's okay. You know, they gather, you know, sometimes on a monthly, a weekly, a biweekly basis, and, you know, they preach and they teach free thought. So, you know, instead of saying, you know, uh, you know this is interesting. Because you heard me do contracts. And so, you know, they'll say, you know, they'll quote Hitchens and Dawkins, or they'll just tell people, you know, about humanism, you know, and, you know, it, it, it just varies, you know. So you would have to go to a Sunday assembly or um, one of those, um, you know, churches or what have you to get a better understanding. Um, you can even find it on YouTube, you know, just look up Sunday assembly and atheists, and you'll be able to think you know, some of their interactions. But, you know, you know, there are some people that are comfortable with it. There are some people that are not. But at the end of the day, we want you to critique, challenge, and question everything. If you didn't get anything else out of this, and I want you to get that. Next week we will have Dr. Jeffrey Perry. We will be talking about Hubert Henry Harrison and the invention of the white race. And the invention of the white race is a book. We'll be talking about that particular book and about Hubert Henry mm-hmm. Harrison, who was the black Socrates. You know, he was a black radical humanist from Harlem. And part two of this will be the Sunday after that, and I will be talking about overcoming, taking control, and letting go. It will be part two of the Losing My Religion series, which is a three-part. And on that note, God, I want you all to have a lovely, lovely weekend. What's left of it, okay? And thanks for calling in. I appreciate you. Thank you. You have a beautiful one, too. Anytime. Thank you so much. Good night, Brad. Thanks for calling in, Rhonda. Take care, everybody. Women, women, 11 o'clock every Sunday.